Welcome to Orchard UMC's podcast. At Orchard, we endeavor to live into our mission of transforming the world by growing in faith, serving others, and sharing Jesus. So the scripture for this morning is John 21, 1 through 14. Jesus later appeared to his disciples along the shore of Lake Tiberias. Simon Peter, Thomas the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, and the brothers James and John were there together with two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. The other said, we'll go with you. They went out into their boat, but they didn't catch a thing that night. Early the next morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize who he was. Jesus shouted, friends, have you caught anything? No, they answered. So he told them, let your net down on the right side of your boat and you will catch some fish. They did, and the net was so full of fish they could not drag it up into the boat. Jesus' favorite disciple told Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon heard that it was the Lord, he put on the clothes that he had taken off while he was working, jumped into the water. The boat was only about 100 yards from the shore, so the other disciples stayed in the boat and dragged in the net full of fish. When the disciples got out of the boat, they saw some bread and a charcoal fire with fish on it. Jesus told his disciples, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter got back into the boat and dragged the net to shore. In it were 153 large fish, but still the net did not rip. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Today's scripture is a resurrection story. I know what you're thinking. Jesus was only born a month ago, and now we're talking about resurrection. Resurrection is always relevant. In this scripture, it happens just after Jesus is crucified and the the disciples have heard rumors that he has risen from the dead, but they hadn't seen him for himself yet. And they're down and they're grieving. And can't you just hear Peter say, I'm going fishing. You know, they've gone back to the life before Jesus. They're feeling hopeless because that's what happens when we lose someone we love. Hopelessness, desperation, loneliness. For the disciples, Jesus was the source of their hope, the one who gave them purpose and the life that they envisioned for themselves moving forward. And now he was gone. And they were desperate. And they felt defeated. So they isolated themselves, and they went back to the life before, and they felt lost, and they'd basically given up. That's what grief can do to us. It can leave us feeling lonely and scared and purposeless and desperate so much that we want to give up on life. Well, that's where Dr. Doolittle was at the start of the movie Doolittle. Now, 
Doolittle is not a deep movie. I knew the theme of the sermon before I saw the movie. And I'll admit, at first when we changed it from the spies in disguise, I was kind of excited because I thought, oh, Robert Downey Jr., this will be good, it'll be fun and everything. And then I went and read some reviews. They were not good. He, it was panned. And so then I was nervous because we had you all coming to this movie. Was this going to be another daddy's home experience? <laughs> But I found myself really enjoying the movie. It was whimsical. And if you can get past Robert Downey Jr.'s accent, it really is enjoyable. There's beautiful colors and scenery, and it reminds us of the beauty of God's creation. The movie is set in 19th century England. Dr. Doolittle is a famed doctor. He is a friend of the queen because he had helped her in the past. And she gave him, in response, as a thank you, this magnificent, lush manor where he lives. But his wife, Lily, died seven years ago. She was an adventurer, and together they had traveled the world, finding hurt or scared animals and bringing them back to their animal sanctuary. Lily died in a terrible storm in one of her adventures, attempting to reach an exotic island. And upon her death, Dr. Doolittle lost everything. He quit his practice. He stopped adventuring. He went back to life the way that it was, a lonely life, only animals as companions. And he didn't leave the manor once in seven years. Now, the point in which we meet Dr. Little for the, Doolittle for the first time, he is ragged, he is lonely, he is scared, he's purposeless, desperate, he's given up on life, and it shows in his appearance. He's scruffy. Um, he has very bad hair and a bad beard, and it's all everywhere, and he looks a mess. And interestingly enough, as I looked through Google Images and all of the searches on the web to find a picture of what he looked like, I couldn't find one because I think Robert Downey Jr. didn't want anyone else to see that, just a little bit in the movie because it was so bad. <laughs> now, at the same time that we get to know Dr. Doolittle's situation, we meet this boy, Stubbins, who was living with his aunt and uncle. They are a family of hunters, and he is not. He does not want to hunt, and they don't understand him. Uh, but one time they take him out hunting and they tell him to make the shot and he shoots away so that the animal will run away, but instead he hits a squirrel and he's terribly upset and so he brings the squirrel to Dr. Doolittle for help. Dr. Doolittle protests at first because he doesn't, hasn't seen a human in seven years and he certainly doesn't want this boy in there and he tells the boy to get lost. Polly the parrot explains that he doesn't want to let people in because he's afraid of getting hurt. And Doolittle says, I don't care about anyone anymore. Animals share that he doesn't exercise or express emotional vulnerability. And Stubbins is intrigued. He wants to become Doolittle's apprentice. And then a girl shows up, Lady Rose, and uh, she is an emissary for Queen Victoria. And she's come to summon him to Buckingham Palace. You see, the queen is very sick and there's no cure for her. They don't know what's going on. And they need Dr. Doolittle's help because they trust and know that he can help. 
Well, of course, there's no way he's going to leave his place. He doesn't want to do that until he discovers that in order to keep his home, he has to, because in her will, it goes back to the royalty. So he goes, discovers that she's been poisoned, and that the cure really is this uh, flower, this fruit, that can only be found on this exotic island, the same one that Lily was in search of. He doesn't want to go, but if he wants to keep his home, he has to. And Stubbins, of course, is determined to go with him, do little protests. Polly sees something special in Stubbins, and she says, I brought you Lily. You need another human. And so the movie goes on, and there's adventure, and they save a dragon, and he uh, comes face-to-face with Lily's father. He begins to mentor Stubbins and even to count on him. And in the journey, Dr. Doolittle remembers his purpose in mentoring Stubbins, in helping the queen, in saving a dragon. He's able to let go and find his purpose again. The ending line of the movie, Dr. Doolittle realized he is at his best when he is sharing his abilities with others. Only by helping others can we help ourselves which is correctly what everyone thought I would preach on today. (laughs) Except I'm going to put it this way. Helping others resurrects us. It's a biblical idea. Doing for others gives us new life. It doesn't just feel good. In serving others, we feel hopeful. We find hope. We glimpse God. We grow closer in our faith as we do God's will on earth. And it reminds us that we have a purpose that's greater than grief. Goldie Hahn once said, giving back is as good for you as it is for those you are helping because giving gives you purpose. When you have a purpose-driven life, you're a happier person. And of course, there's scientific reasoning too. I wouldn't leave this out, right? Dr. Maria Baltazzi explains that endorphins are the wonderful brain chemical that is produced when you are out there doing that three-mile run. It's what puts you in the state that athletes refer to as runner's high. You can experience a similar feeling when you give someone a hand. It's called helper's high, a euphoria that happens when you do charitable deeds. The psychological theory begins that giving and acts of kindness produce a natural, mild version of a morphine high. Now, a Huffington Post article reminds us that there are many things that giving and serving does for us and for how we feel, right? Giving gives us a self-esteem boost. This is, there's a great example of it in the movie when the gorilla who um, has just really struggled and is really down on himself, he's not courageous, he's not bold. In fact, in, in the trailer there was the line where uh, Robert Downey Jr. is laying down and, and he says it's okay to be scared. He's talking to the gorilla who's been scared. And there comes a moment when Dr. Doolittle is um, in danger and the gorilla rises and he saves him and he... And, then from then on, he's a new gorilla. Not a new person, he's a new gorilla. And um, he has a huge self-esteem boost. Um, giving and serving others 
build stronger friendships. And that's, that's very evident throughout the whole movie. In fact, one of the later lines in the movie is teamwork makes the dream work. They work together and their friendships develop and they become stronger. Um, Stubbins becomes one of the gang and um, it's wonderful. Giving and serving others makes us more optimistic. This is evident uh, in so many ways because, of course, it happens with Dr. Doolittle, but it happens with Stubbins. As he is serving and helping others, he gets to experience a different way of life, and that gives him hope and makes him um, an optimistic kid. Giving and serving helps us to have a sense of belonging and inner peace. Uh, this is this, there's this wonderful and kind of gross moment where um, they encounter a dragon. And um, the dragon is all stopped up because she has swallowed all kinds of armor and bagpipes and things like that. But Doolittle recognizes something else in her, too, that she is grieving. And he shares with her, and he says, I know what it is to lose the love of your life. And he helps her to get better. And um, I, I believe when we share our experiences, it gives us a sense of inner peace, a sense of belonging and connectedness to others. Giving and serving makes us feel like anything is possible, and we see that throughout the movie, especially when uh, he reaches the tree where the fruit is, and he's able to kind of um, move forward from his grief as he places the ring um, that he's been carrying from Lily. Giving and serving renews us and makes us more grateful, and that's just evident in the friendships and the sense that we belong together. But there's also spiritual reasoning. When we give and serve uh, others, we participate in building God's kingdom here on earth. We feel closer to the divine. We start to understand God's love and grace in new and different ways. We glimpse Jesus in doing so. Remember the scripture, Matthew 25, where Jesus says, When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When we serve others, we glimpse Jesus. When we walk in his footsteps, we grow closer to him. We see him in what we are doing. And our role as disciples is lived out, right? It's kind of that we put the rubber to the road. The rubber meets the road. When we're giving and serving, we're living out and practicing our faith. And we experience the hope that Christ gives. When we this is why we as a church continue to offer opportunities for giving and serving. It's not just because we need something to do. It's why we have a giving box, because we know that people are looking for ways to give, to give beyond. It's why we're going to Gleaners on February 29th, because doing that practical stuff reminds us um, of how we are connected to those who are hungry uh, on March 27th, save that date, Wood Creek Elementary School, um, Orchard is taking over the school. We are going to do basically a night of a thousand blessings for them, and we are also going to do some team building and leadership training. Uh, they're going to have a full day of us uh, doing this, and so we're going to need lots of volunteers, but it's a wonderful way to make a difference in that Title I um, school, and so I hope you'll be a part of that. Uh, it's why we're buying sub sandwiches, right, to help our youth so that they can help others. It's why we're going to volunteer to wash dishes for Wednesday nights together and to serve communion. All kinds of ways because we recognize that when we live our faith, it gives us hope. 
when we serve others, we grow closer to Christ and we are able to move beyond what pulls us down. Jesus met the disciples where they were in their grief, and he reminded them of who they are. By showing them that there was fish on the other side, he reminded them that with Christ, they can still do it. They can move forward. They can do what he called them to do and live into their purpose. And he does the same for us. He meets us in our grief, in our loneliness, in our pain or our anger or whatever plagues us and reminds us of who we are, offering us opportunities to move beyond ourselves, to find our purpose, to live out our call. And in doing Christ's work of helping others, we find new life. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope you have been enriched by the word proclaimed. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line at ministry at orchardumc.org. You can find out more about Orchard by going to our website at www.orchardumc.org.